Welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist podcast. I feel so honored, really, when people take time to listen, and I am genuinely glad you're here today. So thank you. And this is the second episode on radical acceptance. If you have not heard episode 44, where I interview Sina Moran on radical acceptance, please go check it out. It's worth your time. And make sure to keep an eye out for the bonus episode on acceptance essential oil blend. I will be putting the link to both of those in the show notes. But today I am sharing a conversation that I had with Amy Henderson. She's a therapist from Salt Lake City, Utah. Amy is a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in working with adults and older adults. She's a big DBT fan. Remember, that's dialectical behavior therapy. And Amy has so much insight to share with us as we talk about radical acceptance. We recorded this conversation a long time ago, actually. I was just chatting with Amy today about it. And we both said that it feels like a lifetime ago, really, that we recorded this interview. She even mentions Halloween is coming up in this interview. So just know that it's a while ago, but the things that we talk about are so relevant. And the one thing that we both remembered was how well we connected. And I know you're going to hear that in our conversation. Okay. You know that radical acceptance is one of my favorite topics and that I believe it is one of the most important things to get your head around if you are going to have an emotionally healthy life. Amy has such good things to share about this topic. You will not want to miss this. I know it's going to add value to your day. Let's listen in. My name is Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Leaving my career as a therapist, business owner, and counselor educator was a big risk. But now, as an author, coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host, I am fulfilling my passion to help people move forward toward an essentially better life. Each episode is filled with stories, information, and ideas that I know will be valuable to your life and to the lives you touch. So if you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I know that this is a place that you will feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. It's fun to get to see you here. And I'm really glad you're here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here too. And a fellow DBT lover. I know. How exciting to discover that about one another. Yay. I'm excited about that too. I'm excited about today specifically because we're going to talk about radical acceptance, which is one of my very favorite. Uh, constructs, right? Like our concepts of mental health all around, really. So I'm super Mm -hmm. excited to talk about radical acceptance and to hear your take on it. But before we get going on that, I'd love to hear just about yourself, about what you do, where you live, your family, all that stuff. 
Okay, great. Well, let's jump right in. I was born and raised in Utah. I currently live in Salt Lake City, Utah with my partner of 15 and a half years and my four fur children. I have two <laughs> rescue tabbies, Jack and Millie, Aww. and then two rescue huskies, Marco and Desmond. Wow, very cute. How uh, fun. They're you good have... kids. <laughs> Lots of free love going on there. Oh my gosh. We live in fur 365 days a year. We live in fur. Yeah. I would imagine that is, that's pretty cool though. How sweet huskies are fun. And anything you like to do that you want to tell us about like some hobbies? Yeah. I'm a road cyclist. Um, I love Qigong, which is the, for people who don't know or aren't familiar, Qigong is the the grandfather of Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. And I have a current obsession with plants. It is, it's getting me through the pandemic. I'm coping through plants, house plants, decorating my office in plants. Um, (laughs) And I also, another thing that, that gets me through lots of different things is paint by numbers. I am a huge paint by numbers fan. I decorate my house and my office and my waiting room in paint by numbers creations. That is so funny. So I bought, I decided I was going to do paint by number during the, <gasps> the pandemic. At the very beginning, I was like, oh, I'm going to totally do this. That looks so fun. I'm going to get it. So I bought yeah. one and uh, I started and then I was like, this is, I, I will poke my eye out with a fork. I mean, it was it's not for you. Huh? It is so my friend, she's like, I love these paint by number things. I'm like, here, you take mine. So she's painting it. It's almost done. And she is gonna give it to me. Oh, that's a great way to do it. Yes. Right? You get the finished product, right. have somebody else do the the journey, the process right, of it. Because that was just not a thing I could do. I can uh, no, it was so little, like all the little things, and then oh. My goodness. Some of them I think are harder than others. And I think it depends. You can tell how many I've done because it, it depends on where you get it from. Sometimes the numbers are so tiny that they're so hard to see, or the print is so light that you can't see the number. Yeah. So I was, I, that I couldn't do it. So I kudos to you for doing that. I'd love to (laughs) see some sometimes. So, okay. So you are a therapist and Mm -hmm. I would love to know why you decided to become a therapist? That's, it's a great question. And um, I, I always knew that I wanted to be in the mental health field. Um, even I, like, I have a really distinct memory in junior high, sitting around the lunch table with a bunch of my friends and just kind of knowing that the mental health field and working with people was what suited me. Mm -hmm. But I always said that I wouldn't be a therapist. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that I wasn't going to do. And then later in graduate school, I became interested in learning more about clinical work so that I could really hone my skills. Um, But I was convinced I would never be a therapist in private practice. Um, So here I am, uh, both now. I am a therapist (laughs) in private private practice. practice. (laughs) I think the more that I honed my clinical skills and started doing therapy, the more that I realized how much I loved it. Like Mm. there's nothing, there's nothing more moving to me, I think, than, than bearing witness to someone else's deep, deep pain, deep memories, deep personal experiences. Mm. Um, it, it, I don't know any other way to describe it than just deeply moving to be part of that process. 
So I fell in love with it. Yeah, it feels like a real honor. I think like mm. there is a sense of real honor that somebody would share things like that with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to be that trusting, to mm-hmm. feel that safe. Um, it does. I like that word honor. It does. It often, I feel like an honor to walk with my clients through, like through this process, through this journey. Yeah. Well, good. I'm really glad that you are doing that. And it sounds like your, your clients are really fortunate to have you. Thank you. So let's jump in and talk about radical acceptance. Now, lots and lots of people don't know what radical acceptance is and, and what it isn't. So I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to kind of give a definition of what you think radical acceptance is, and what it isn't, right? And how maybe how it works. Yeah, I would love to. Radical acceptance, um, in a nutshell, is a complete and total openness to the facts of reality as they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots and lots of myths about radical acceptance and accepting things. Um, Radical acceptance does not mean that we like something. doesn't mean that we agree with something. It doesn't mean that we have to love or have compassion for people who hurt us. It doesn't mean that we have to give up or roll over or that we have to let go of wanting change. Um, I could go on and on and Mm -hmm. on. In grief and loss work, it doesn't mean that we have to forget about the person or the thing that we lost. Um, There's so many myths out there about what radical acceptance is, and it is not any of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, We can simply accept or work towards accepting the facts of reality just as they are. It is what it is. Yeah, I like that. And I love that, you know, in, in DBT, for people who don't know what DBT is, DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy. And it's just a kind of, or maybe a theory and a, a way of doing and seeing people and doing practice. But anyway, in that, that way of thinking about lots of mental health, different things, but Radical acceptance is so is really important because you cannot be effective in life unless you are being effective in reality, right? Uh, yes, yes. Knowing, I mean, knowing and accepting what reality is, so that then, so that then we can begin to be effective in that reality. Yes, that's really important because we cannot be effective outside of that when we believe or when we try and wish, right, that things were different. And so we act as if they are different. We can never be effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you bring up wishes because that's often a word that I will use um, is, is wishes, things that I wish were different, maybe things inside myself, things outside of myself. So when I'm having wishes, that is a really good indicator that maybe I'm not radically accepting something. Yeah. So why do you think that it's so important for our mental health to work on areas in our life that we need to have radical acceptance? I love in DBT, um, in radical acceptance, we integrate a very Buddhist perspective about pain, acceptance, and suffering. And in this perspective, Pain is seen as something that is inevitable. 
it's an inevitable part of life, um, part of what we are going to encounter uh, many, many times throughout our lives. Uh, pain is seen as a signal, something that helps us know that something is going on. I often use the example of putting your hand on a hot stove. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have that signal of pain, then I wouldn't know that something needs to be attended to. Mm -hmm. And suffering is seen as pain plus non-acceptance mm -hmm. or avoidance uh, or denial. Mm -hmm. That is what equals suffering. Suffering is something that keeps us stuck, prevents us from being able to move forward and grow. Um, it also, it breeds things like anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And we can transform that suffering that is optional into pain that is easier to manage. Um, it's still painful. Mm -hmm. It's still hard but we can have, we can create a life worth living. As we say in DBT, mm -hmm. we can create a life worth living, even if we have pain. Mm -hmm. And physical or emotional pain. Yeah. I mean, emotional pain is very, very difficult, but a lot of, you know, I used to work in a pain clinic. This is one of the very big things that we talk about is radical acceptance and in, in pain clinics, because people with chronic pain, their pain isn't going to just go away. Right? right. But when they can accept that this is where they're at and this is what it, their reality is. And so how then based on all that information, the fact that I'm accepting it mm -hmm. and I'm acknowledging the fact that mm -hmm. it is there, right? How can I move forward in, in a real effective and productive and happy way even? Yeah. Yes. Yes. How can I, the idea that I can be happy as pain and pleasure comes and goes in my life, which mm -hmm. is life for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, these things ebb and flow. And when you were talking about pain, uh, we often talk about the pain of this present moment being enough that if we add the pain of the past and the pain of the future onto the pain of this present moment, it becomes an overwhelming sense of pain. Mm -hmm. If we focus on the pain, emotional or physical, of this present moment. That is enough. Yeah, and it's and more manageable. And we are managing it, right? If people are in the pain of the yeah. present moment, whatever it is, they're managing it right the second. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's that's very good to remember. Have you seen? Have you seen a big need for this skill, kind of, especially right now in the world? It, you know, yes. my, with, with your clients. Talk about Absolutely. That. It seems like radical acceptance is one that I talk about very frequently uh, with my clients that there is, I like to say there are so many opportunities right now for us mm -hmm. to practice radical acceptance. So and many. I say that as much to myself as I say to other people, mm -hmm. <laughs> I noticed a lot of opportunities for me to practice radical acceptance. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Yeah. You know, one of the examples that I wanted to use uh, from my own life it has to do with the pandemic. And that is uh, the upcoming Halloween holiday is going to look very different because of the pandemic. And I've been looking forward to Halloween, especially this year for quite a while. Last year, um, because of my work schedule, I was working. And so I wasn't able to do what I usually do during Halloween. 
And so I've been really excited about this. And I had a moment just last week where I realized that I was, I was in denial. I was in a place of non-acceptance about Halloween's going to look different this year. Um, it was actually one of my clients who invited me unknowingly invited me to take a look at that. And I realized, oh yeah, I've just been kind of not wanting to pay attention to that because I really don't want to accept Mm -hmm. the reality that the pandemic is seriously impacting a holiday that I love. Mm -hmm. And so how did radical acceptance look for you? In this particular example, I think that I am still working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, I mean, step number one for radical acceptance is awareness that yeah. I am not accepting, which I think awareness is like step number one for just about everything, everything sure. that I talk about. It's like, we got to know about it. We've got to become aware of it in order to do anything with it. And so that moment of awareness that I realized that I was not accepting, uh, and then, um, Turning the mind is another skill that we talk about with radical acceptance. And I think in that moment, when my client kind of invited me to take a look at this, I realized that I was at a fork in the road, right? I could continue on the path of rejecting reality and being in denial, or I could use the turning the mind skill and decide to take the other path in that fork in the road and work towards acceptance, Mm -hmm. which for me comes back to, uh, it helps me to go to a place of making an inner commitment to myself that, Mm -hmm. and I want to accept, I have a desire to accept, I can radically accept this. Mm -hmm. And maybe it takes time, right? And (laughs) And that uh, most of the time it does. And there's layers of that. I think that's another thing is that we often have to do this skill and and really turn our minds over Mm -hmm. and over and over, especially when things are hard and really important to us. We have to continually choose, you know, to radically accept the things that are reality in our life. Absolutely. Continue. And I love the idea that it doesn't matter how many times Mm -hmm. our mind may travel towards uh, rejection or non-acceptance of something. What matters is when we become aware of it, we bring ourselves back Mm -hmm. and it does, it does take time. I think that there, there are some things that I think are easier Mm -hmm. to radically accept than others or take less time to radically accept Mm -hmm. than others. And yet most of the things that I find myself really needing to work on take months, if not years. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more. I, I really want to talk about what this whole idea is not, because many times people are like, well, we're going to radically accept something happened. And so you, you talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but yeah, yeah, but how it is not having to like whatever happened or say it's okay that whatever happened happened mm-hmm. or yeah. that it's fine now that I don't have to celebrate Halloween, Halloween the way that I was. Yeah. I, that's it's no big deal. That's yeah. not what this is. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think that, 
I, I think it's really key to remember that I can still be radically accepting something and not like the situation. I'm not, I'm not happy about the fact that Halloween is going to look different for me. I don't like it. I don't want it to be this way. I really want it to be the way that I want it to be and to Mm -hmm. enjoy it that way. I can have both of those things, which which brings us to another major concept in DBT, um, the and word, right? Mm -hmm. Both Both and and. that I can not like the situation and radically accept something. Both of those things can live together. Mm -hmm. And and then you can, I mean, when you do accept this, you can move forward then and make decisions based mm-hmm. on reality, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It isn't about I am in an abusive relationship and I accept, I radically accept that this is my reality. And so I have to stay here. Yeah. I have to, I have to accept what's happening to me. I have to um, roll over. I can't do anything about it. That is not radical acceptance. Not radical acceptance. And I would say that that is usually the number one concern. Mm-hmm. Um, when I notice my clients are, are getting a little resistant or struggling with radical acceptance, I'll usually ask them, do you have a concern? What is that concern? that you have if you think about fully radically accepting this thing. And usually I get one of two things. Well, I won't be motivated to change. Like I'll just stop doing stuff. I won't be motivated to do anything. Or it means that I have to be complacent. Mm-hmm. It means that I just have to roll over um, and not do anything. And that gives us a really great opportunity to talk about the what radical acceptance is not. Yeah. I think radical acceptance creates motivation to change Mm -hmm. as opposed to the opposite. If it's really that, because then it it gives you, it empowers you and it really takes away oftentimes the whole victim mentality sometimes about, okay, so this, what the reality is, is that this happened and now I can choose to do different things in my life, how, uh, how I'm going to move forward. I get to choose now and it can very well be motivation to change. Absolutely. I love the, uh, the quote by Carl Rogers and use this a lot when talking about radical acceptance. He said, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Yeah. We think that change comes first so frequently, Mm. and I think Carl says it, it's actually acceptance. Acceptance comes first, and then we can change. That's very true. I like that. I love that from Carl Rogers. What a guy. Mm. Ah, love him. (laughs) So I would love to hear some things that you've found helpful for yourself. We talked about that a little bit, and for your clients in moving toward radical acceptance. Yes, I've already talked about a couple of them. Um, I wanted to give some kind of concrete, helpful skills to be able to practice radical acceptance. But before I do that, I think a couple of things that are noteworthy. One is what we've already talked about. Radical acceptance is hard. Mm -hmm. It is really challenging. And it takes time. In many cases, it takes time. And sometimes it's a circular process where maybe we radically accept something. And then months later, 
we get maybe new information mm-hmm. about something, or we find ourselves needing to begin again in the journey of radical acceptance of this same thing. So it can be an ongoing dynamic process. And I just want all of us, myself included, to not be discouraged if that comes up. It doesn't mean you didn't radically accept it at one point. Mm -hmm. It means you're beginning again um, for whatever reason to radically accept. Um, And then the other thing that I like to remind my clients, as with so many skills, um, when we're talking about DBT, when you are first trying to wrap your brain around this whole concept, uh, and when you're trying to practice it, start with some like smaller things, maybe Mm -hmm. some easier, more accessible things. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have to radically accept that big, massive Um, situation or problem in the beginning practice with some little things. Like for me, it would be the Halloween practicing on Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas something like um, something that I constantly am needing to go back and radically accept is um, when I start getting critical of myself, because maybe I think that I said something dumb. You can hear all of my judgments, right? I said something stupid. Why did I say that? Um, I was really vulnerable and I'm embarrassed about that. And it's something that I have to visit and revisit a lot, radically accepting myself for just who I was in that moment, mm-hmm. imperfections and all. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, I think, some really helpful reminders for, um, for people in practicing radical acceptance, especially if you're unfamiliar with it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thanks. And I would say also that Sometimes when there are those big things that you need to have, you need to, you know, work toward and you know, I mean, people know that eventually they're going to have to deal with the facts of life, even if they don't like them, right? They know what they are and they, they, they know that eventually they're going to have to deal with it. And sometimes you need somebody else to help you deal with that. Mm. And you need to find somebody to come alongside you and, whether that's a therapist or a coach or a pastor, whoever that is, or a friend, whoever who can be real connected with you and, and empathize with you and validate your experience. Sometimes we just need another person to be our person. Yes, yeah. I love that. Sometimes it's so much easier for that other person to be so compassionate and caring and patient and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's harder for us to offer that to ourselves. Yeah. So, okay. So what are some tangible things that you have your clients do? Tangible things. Step one, we've already talked about awareness, becoming Mm -hmm. aware that there is something that I am not radically accepting. Um, I've already said some kind of red flags that I like to talk about of times or places where I become aware that I'm not radically accepting something. If I am starting to get really judgmental or critical, that may be a signal that um, I have an opportunity for radical acceptance. I also find that shoulds are a really great like red flag, right? Right. Hey, you look at me, you're shoulding all over yourself and the world and others. That sounds like it could be a wish of that you have for something to be different. And I may not be accepting reality how it is. Mm -hmm. So number one, awareness. Uh, Step two that I wanted to talk about, I referenced earlier in DBT is called turning the mind. 
And that is a small or a large shift. Usually it's a small one, I find, Mm -hmm. where we see ourselves on that fork in the road. We know that we can go left and accept or go right and reject. And it is that conscious choice to move towards acceptance. Mm -hmm. That turning the mind helps put us on the path for radical acceptance. It doesn't, it isn't the thing that helps that it isn't the thing that makes radical acceptance, right? right? It starts us on that journey. And then the other two things that I wanted to talk about are half smile and willing hands, because I really wanted to emphasize that radical acceptance is a whole body experience. Acceptance is something that we do in what I call our upstairs brain. Um, and Dan Siegel, I didn't just make that up. Dan Siegel, I, I borrowed that terminology from Dan Siegel. Our upstairs brain, our prefrontal cortex, where we make logical, rational decisions, that is acceptance. I logically know that the facts of reality are what they are. In radical acceptance, this is a heart, mind, body, soul experience. So not only does my mind know it rationally, but my body feels it. I feel it into the very depths of my soul. Mm -hmm. And when we do things with our body, then we get our mind listening to that. Our mind listens to what our body is doing. And that's where I think the half smile and willing hands can be really helpful in creating that openness and that willingness to be able to radically accept. Mm -hmm. So for people who aren't familiar with half smile and willing hands, half smile is a process of, I like to take a few deep breaths first, just to get myself relaxed and connected. And then relaxing our facial muscles from our forehead to our chin. And once the face is relaxed, beginning to bring the corners of the mouth upward just slightly into a half smile while the muscles of the face remain relaxed. So if you think of the image of the Mona Lisa or the Buddha, that's what I like to picture to help guide me in that half smile. And your body by doing this is signaling to the brain that there's openness, there's happiness, peace, calm, contentment, we're safe, we're okay. Mm-hmm. And then willing hands, which can be, these can be done independently or you can combine them. Willing hands is holding our hands, palms up and maybe relaxing them and resting them on our lap or maybe on the ground or the chair beside us and holding gently those hands just open and relaxed, a sense of openness. Um, I like to contrast it with willful hands that would be like these clenched fists that are held tight and there's all this tension and I can currently feel my fingernails digging into the palms of my hand. Mm That is closed offedness and opening those hands and relaxing them creates willingness and openness. Mm-hmm. I love that. I actually talked about that the other day on another interview where we're talking about oh, surrender and just opening our hands to symbolize that. Like, and our bodies understand that, you know, and it's interesting, you know, even with the half smile. Our bodies, we actually, there's chemicals and and hormones that are released when we do that. Our brains and our bodies were created to work that way. And it's it's 
fascinating how Mm -hmm. that really helps. And, you know, as you were talking, I just was thinking about people. Another thing we didn't talk about really was how radical acceptance can bring on a lot of pain. Because people fight against reality because it's painful. And so sometimes when we have, when we realize, oh, I, you know, I'm going to work on radically accepting this thing in my life and, and really understanding that this is my, this is my reality. This is reality. This is what mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah. And when we do that, there can be this real sense of grief, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, even just, just the small thing, like the Halloween, well, it's not that small, but the, you know, the, the thing of it's Halloween, right? Like with Halloween, you, you accepting that you radically accepting the reality of the world right now yeah. has to bring on some pain and yeah, loss and of what you wanted. Loss. Yeah. I love that you say that because there often is grief and loss that emerges and, and I feel it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one reason that I was denying it is that I didn't want to have to sit in that grief, mm-hmm. that loss of, I missed my Halloween last year and now I'm going to miss it again. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really sad about that. Mm-hmm. I wish that it were different. Mm-hmm. And so it's really common to have those feelings of yeah. loss and grief that come up when we radically accept. Yeah. So when you're doing those things of like, okay, I'm just going to open my hands. I'm going to relax my face and just lift mm-hmm. it just a bit. And I always talk about too, like with people's eyes, just to lift your eyes a little, because that always, it's like, it does something with your, with your brain, you know, it does really Mm -hmm. this thing with your brain, but in doing that, it can bring on a lot of pain. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay because it's moving you forward instead of keeping you stuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suffering is harder in the long run. Yeah. Um, There. There might be some short-term payoffs to avoiding and non-acceptance, but the long-term is a lot more suffering. Mm-hmm. I love, I was, I was thinking as you were talking um, uh, just about the, the half smile and the willing hands and how that releases chemicals. There was a recent study, at least one that became, is newly familiar to me of a study that was done where they asked people to feel a certain emotion inside and then show something different on their face. Mm. So maybe evoke love inside and show an angry face. And humans cannot do that. We can't. I love that. I love they knowing that. so connected. So sure. if we are half smiling with willing hands, we really are helping our whole entire body become happy, content, calm, peaceful. Mm, I like that. I, that's interesting. That's fascinating. Isn't that cool? Yes. I think that's so cool. I love it. Well, is there anything else that you want us to know about radical acceptance at all? You know, w- one more thing that I would love to share because often I talk about radical acceptance with my clients when we're being highly self-critical or judgmental of ourselves. And one thing that I like to add in my process of radical acceptance and that I like to teach my clients to do when we find ourselves in that place is I like to do this thing where for a moment, 
I just agree with what I think happened um, or what it is that I'm telling myself. So for example, um, I've been at a training this last weekend and it was a huge group, a hundred people. And I was making comments and trying to be engaged. And then there were also times when we were practicing, you know, this new therapy technique in pairs. And so I was really trying to be vulnerable and also trying to practice these new skills that are new to me. And afterwards, I noticed myself having a lot of critical thoughts about, oh, that was really stupid that you said that. Or why did you do that? Or uh, a big one for me is like, I can't believe that you don't know how to do that skill. Like that was so dumb of you, right? That you that you were kind of fumbling through this skill with your partner and, you know, she must think you're fill in the blank of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I like to pause in those moments when I become aware that I'm not radically accepting and just agree with it for a moment. So let's just say for the sake of argument right now that I did say something stupid or I did say something or I I did make a mistake when I was practicing. Am I still worthy of love? Can I still love myself even if I made a big mistake. And I find that with self-criticism to be a really powerful, stops me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, gosh, even if all these things I'm saying to myself are true, I still deserve love. I'm still okay. I'm still enough. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It really helps me and my clients. I find radically accept ourselves for who we are. Mm-hmm. I like that. Those are good words. Good, good wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like so glad. That. Thanks for sharing all of that with us today on you bet. about this. It's a fun, a fun thing to talk about. I could actually talk about it for a long time. Um, I could too, like <laughs> endlessly. So we're just going to have to condense it, right? We, we are. Well, I, I love all the things that you've said today. So But we're going to move into, I want to hear a little bit more about you. Like, what do you have going on? How can um, people get in contact with you? Do you have something that you want people to know about? Yeah. So the easiest way to find me right now is my profile on Psychology Today. Um, As I was getting ready for our interview, I noticed an invitation from myself to radically accept myself that I do not have a website right now. And maybe someday I will. I noticed some judgments that I had about myself for not having a website or, and decided what a great opportunity to radically accept that this is just where I'm at right now, personally and professionally. So Best way you can find out more about me, my individual practice, as well as the DBT skills groups for adults that I run uh, with my colleagues on Psychology Today. I'm easy to find Amy Henderson in Utah, um, and you can learn a little bit more about me that way. Okay. And are you on social media at all? I am not professionally on social media. Good. So you're just doing your thing there in Utah. I love yeah. that. I love that. I know. It's okay. very fun. All right. So I have three questions that I ask everyone on my podcast, and I'd love to ask okay. you. I can't wait to hear. First is an event that changed you. 
been excited to talk about these. So an event that changed me is in my late teens, early 20s, I left my religion. It was kind of a slow process of um, stepping out the door. And finally, about my early 20s is when I, I left and really started on my own path mm-hmm. to really clarify my own beliefs and my own values and find my own sense of spirituality. And it has deeply changed me to leave. Wow. That's a very big thing. It's huge. It's a big, it's a big, I mean, usually faith comes with community and Mm -hmm. it's a big, it's a big deal to do that. So that's a, wow. What a big event. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. A person, a person who's changed you. So it is not a person um, better in my personal opinion. It is one of my rescue Huskies. Marco is my person who changed me. Um, It's actually funny that it was six years ago today that we brought him home as a foster dog. And he, he had, he had bit my, his soon to be dad, right? My partner, um, the first time that we met him. And we're crazy enough that we were like, yeah, we'll take him. We got this. Right. We can do this. That's no big deal. What's a little bite with, you know, blood coming out of his neck. How hard could that Um, be? Right. Not a big deal. And uh, he, what we knew and what we, what we knew at the time. And then what we learned more over time is that me, Marco was terrified of humans And when he got terrified, he would react by trying to intimidate other Mm -hmm. people. So by going into fight, he looks intimidating, he gets bigger, um, and he gets aggressive when he gets scared. Mm -hmm. So I think before having Marco, I had really approached being a dog mom and maybe even as a person with more of kind of this dominant, I have to be in control, in charge kind of style. And when we brought Marco home, I realized very quickly that it was not going to work with him. Mm-hmm. It was going to damage our relationship. It was going to damage him even further. We weren't going to make a lot of progress. And so he really helped me become much more interpersonal and like attachment based with my style to help create like this secure sense of an other so that he felt safe and could trust me. Mm-hmm. and. I think out of, I mean, it, it transformed me and how I parent my animals, but also how I interact with other people, how I am with my clients. Wow. Uh, it absolutely transformed me and I've never, I've never been able to go back. Aww, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And the last one is a book that changed you. It is a fiction book called We the Animals by Justin Torres, and I highly recommend it if if you haven't read it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was later, I read the book first, and I read it like twice back to back. I was like, read it, then read it, um, because I loved it so much. My sister had recommended it to me. She loved it. And um, I fell in love with it as well. It was later made into a Sundance film and or into a film that was presented at the Sundance Film Festival. And I had the opportunity to go with my sister and view the screening. And the author was there and we got to hear him speak about the process oh and the goodness. book and Q&A. It was so neat. And it, 
it just deepened my love for the book to see the film and to hear him speak. Um, the, the, the story is really about a young boy who is growing up with his two older brothers and, um, and his mom and dad in a rather dysfunctional family environment, um, pretty abusive, pretty toxic at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think what the things I love about it are that it's such a raw, like unapologetic portrayal of this boy and the family and the chaos that they live in and what they go through. And at the screening, the film screening, the author made a point that really resonated with me that he really tried to present this family in a really non-judgmental kind of factual, this is how it is way, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh -huh. He wanted it all to be out there without a need to blame anybody or judge anybody, just kind of let you see into kind of the soul of this family as as it is. I love that. That's fascinating. I want to, I'm going to put it on my, my list. So I'd I, love to hear what you think about it when you read it. I will put that in the show notes for sure. So people can get it and read it. I'm going to read it. I, I wonder if it's on okay. Audible. I love listening to books like that. It sounds like. On Audible? Uh-huh. Yes, it is on Audible. Okay. I'm getting that. Yes. And it's also, you can also get the DVD of the film, which I think they did an exceptional job. Um, um, you can get it on Amazon. Ooh, okay. Well, thank you so much again, Amy, for being here with us and with me and just for our conversation. It was really fun. You are so welcome. And thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And it was really fun talking with you. Good. We'll have to stay connected for sure. I love that idea. Okay. Yes. Bye-bye. Mm, I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.